Some of you may know Angela Duckworth. She's an author, but also a psychologist. And she wrote a book called Grit. And it came out several years ago now. But what she's doing is she's looking, she does some research, and she's looking for um, one factor that can determine success in the, in, in the life of an individual. And so her story goes something like this. She was um, a consultant. She left her job as a consultant to teach seventh grade math. And she, what she soon finds in the classroom is that the number one predictor of success among her students is not IQ. So in other words, the students that are performing the best aren't necessarily the smartest. And those that are at the bottom of the class, as far as like grades, aren't necessarily the ones that aren't as intelligent. There's something else at work here. So what is that? She goes on uh, to leave that job and get her master's in psychology. And then she conducts a study, which is the findings are in her book called Grit. And she goes on to um, look at candidates that go to West Point, the military academy in the U.S. Which ones of these candidates will make it to the end? These students will graduate. Uh, she looks at the National Spelling Bee, which is probably a very American thing, I realize. Maybe they have it here as well, but it's, it's a very uh, stressful situation that these young kids are put in, and they spell words that I have no idea what they even mean. But which ones of these kids will actually persevere to the end? Which ones make it? And what determines that success? She went to schools in the inner city in difficult situations and talked and interviewed young teachers, first-year teachers. Which ones of these teachers will actually continue? What she found was it wasn't based on intelligence alone that they succeeded. It wasn't based on their good looks. It wasn't based on physical abilities or even social intelligence. But actually, it was based on something she defines as grit. And at the heart of grit is perseverance. She defines grit as passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. So the determining factor was grit, this thing that will carry you to the end, this perseverance. We're going to see that in Acts 14 in a minute. I think we would all agree that this quality of persevering and perseverance in the life of an individual is very admirable. And um, for example, I mean, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, right? What are we celebrating? 70 years of perseverance, continuing to serve the nation. And when I think of an individual, I think of William Wilberforce. So the late British politician, what was his life marked by? Perseverance. 1780, he began his political career, and five years into that, he becomes a Christian. He has an encounter with the living God. His desires change. His principles, the things he's living for change, and he joins the fight against slavery. But it's not till 46 years later that the, the law is passed that, passed that abolishes slavery. 46 years. And then three days later, he dies. His life work was complete. But he persevered, and we admire that. There's something admirable about that. Well, today, as we look at Acts 14, we're going to see the life of Paul and Barnabas and how they persevere under much, much persecution and opposition. And so if it's essential for the early church to grow by perseverance, it's probably essential for us. And it's interesting, the message that they then take back to the churches to establish them is a message of perseverance. That's what they encourage them with. So if the early church needed to be encouraged with perseverance, we probably need to be encouraged with perseverance as well. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at perseverance in proclaiming the gospel, perseverance in believing the gospel, and then lastly, this, where does the source of perseverance come from? How do we get that? 
Well, the text picks up in chapter 14, verse 1, so 1109, and you're in the Blue Bible. And in verse 1, we find Paul in this city called Iconium. They're in their first missionary journey. And so if you look back at the very beginning of Acts, we kind of get the outline of the book in Acts verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and leave his disciples with some marching orders. And he says, when the Holy, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, so he's going to send the Spirit to them, that's news, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, so far in Acts, we've seen it go to Jerusalem. We've seen it go to Judea and Samaria. And now we're seeing it go to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles are now believing. The door of faith has been opened to the Gentiles. And so they're in Iconium. They go into the Jewish synagogue and they begin to preach the gospel. And this was their normal course. They would enter a city. Usually if it's a, it has a, a synagogue, like a local church, they'd start there. And they would preach the gospel. And it says right here that the response, it says they, they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. How did they speak so effectively? Were they just winsome? Were they just eloquent in language? They were probably gifted speakers, but that's not what made them effective. The effectiveness came from the message. And we know that because Romans 1.16 says that the gospel that message, the message of good news, the good news that Jesus has come to forgive us for our sins and make us right to God, to bring us back to God, something we cannot do, that we have fallen short of his glory, but Jesus has made a way. That good news, that's the power of salvation. So they're proclaiming this. And it says that a large number believe. Well, we also see there are some that don't believe. And there's a negative response to the gospel. Again, this is a common pattern. Some believe, some don't. And what happens? Verse 2, it says, But some Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So those that don't like what they hear, they start turning the crowd against them, putting seeds of doubt in their minds. So what do Paul and Barnabas do? If you're like me, I would probably think, okay, people don't like me here. Things are getting a little heated. It's time to go. But in verse 3, it says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. They stay. They persevere. They stick it out. And they speak boldly for the Lord. That's what they're doing. They're persevering in this gospel message. So I think the question that we have to wrestle with, or the thought that we have to wrestle with, is not all persecution is bad. Not all discomfort because of the gospel is bad. So maybe you're at work, maybe it's family members, maybe there's a little bit of opposition because of your faith. It might mean you're actually doing something right. That's what Paul and Barnabas concluded, so they stayed. We're doing something right. The message is going forth. A little longer, a little more time goes by. Verse 5, it says that the hearts are becoming harder and harder, and it says that the Jews make a plan to ill-treat them and stone them. So they divide this plan, and they, the, uh, Paul and Barnabas actually hear about this, and they leave the city at this point. It's time to move on, and what happens? They go to a new city. God opens a door for the gospel to go forth, and how does he open it? I don't know about you, but when I think about an open door and how we use that language today, is isn't like this. If there's an open door, it's because it's open, and I can just walk through it. This is easy, right? God has opened this door. Uh, he's provided this job. He's provided this house. He's provided this university for me to study. Those are open doors, but in these cases, it comes to much opposition, and God opens a door here to a new city, and it's in 
Lystra. So in verse 8, we find ourselves in Lystra. And Paul is once again proclaiming the good news. And this is a Gentile city. This is kind of a backwater town. This is not a main commercial hub. But they find themselves here. And as they're speaking, as Paul's speaking the gospel, uh, he notices a crippled man in front of him. One that has never, a guy who's never walked in his entire life. And God, through Paul, heals him. And so all of a sudden, his muscle fibers within his legs are strengthened and he jumps up. He's healed. It's a miracle. And the response is pretty astonishing. But before we get to the response of the people, I think we need to go back and see what Paul did. What did he do? He saw the man. It says, he looked intently at this man and saw that he had faith to believe. How quickly are we to go about our days busy with a lot of good things and miss people? We overlook them. But Paul didn't. He was running from his life. He had places to go, cities to visit. And, you know, he wanted to go back and then encourage all the believers. He had things to do. But he didn't miss what was important, people. And so he sees this man and God heals him. Well, the response to this miracle is that the people of Lystra want to sacrifice to them. They want to offer sacrifice of bulls to them. And so there's some commotion going on, and Paul and Barnabas are a little bit confused. It says that they were speaking in their, in their native tongue, the people, the Lyconian language. And they start to see, okay, there's the priests are walking in with these bulls. This guy over here is starting to get some fire. This guy's got a knife. They're putting pieces together, right? Like something's happening here, and this is not good. They're, they're missing our message. They think that we are Greek gods. You see, there was a myth in that area, in that region, that Zeus and Hermes had visited at one time in human form. And there were consequences to that visit. But, so they're like, okay, this is it. They're back. We need to get this right. And so they say, Zeus, Barnabas, Hermes, the chief speaker, is Paul. And we need to offer sacrifices to them. And so they bring in... And what do Paul and Barnabas do? They yell out and say, stop, stop, don't do that. You've missed it. They tear their robes, which is a sign of them saying, this is blasphemy. Stop. Remember a couple weeks ago when Andy was speaking, chapter 12, there's another guy named Herod. He was speaking and the people said, a voice of God. He didn't stop them. What happened? He was struck down and eaten by worms. He was the guy who was eaten by worms. But they don't, they don't miss this, do they? Paul and Barnabas reflect the glory back to God. And what do they tell them? How do they encourage them to know the true God? First, they say, we're one of you. (laughs) We're just like you. They come in a posture of humility. We're human like you. They don't come puffed up. They don't come thinking they've got this message they've figured out to give them. And as Christians, I think we can almost do that at times. We can come and and think, that we have something that we've figured out and we're special and we have something to offer. We don't. A Christian is simply someone who has been changed by the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and then wants to point others to that hope that they have. We're human like you. And then they tell them who this God is. He says, they say, turn. You need to turn from worshiping these idols, these stones, and turn to the living God. And they go on to describe who this living God is. And that's where they start. Who is this God? They don't start with arguing from the scriptures of the Old Testament, right? They know their audience. These are Gentiles. They don't know that. So they they bring the message to their audience. They contextualize it to them. And they start with, 
Do you know who created the world? Who created everything that we have? The one who sends the rain, the one who makes the crops grow so that you could fill your belly and make your hearts glad? That's the God we're talking about. The God who has created you. And they point them to this creator God. Now we know Paul would have gotten around to Jesus in his message, but he gets cut short. It could have been that Luke just doesn't include it in, in, this, in this account. Or it could be that they're, again, trying to sacrifice bulls to him. Or it could be that these people from the previous cities, these Jews, have now arrived and they take Paul and try to kill him. It says they arrive, and that's what happens um, in Lystra, that they come, they try to stone Paul, and then they says they drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. I mean, think about that. They've caught up with him. And they actually think they've killed him. They've left him there. We've accomplished it. We've gotten rid of this guy. It says then the disciples, the followers gather around them. I imagine they're praying and Paul begins to move. He's actually alive. He's just knocked out and he was within an inch of his life, but he's alive. And what does he do? What would you do? I think it'd be time to get on a ship and go home. <laughs> he goes back into that city. Maybe he went back to finish the sermon. I don't know. Maybe he just collapsed in pure exhaustion and pain. But it says he didn't leave the city till the next day. So he goes back. He perseveres. And what is the result of this perseverance from Paul? Another door for the gospel is opened. This is what we see. We see in verse 21, they preached the gospel. This is Derby. They move on to Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. It's through much perseverance and opposition that the early church grows. They're committed to that message. Now, I don't know about you, but we probably won't face this type of persecution in our life. But what does it mean for you to persevere with the gospel message? What does it, who do you need to persevere with? Is there a family member? Is there a neighbor? Someone you've overlooked? Who do we need to persevere with? When I think about this, I think about my mom, actually. She grew up in upstate New York on a dairy farm. Her father was a hardworking man, ran the farm, ran the business, but didn't know Jesus. And so when my mom went to college, went away, she heard the gospel and becomes a Christian. And then over the course of his life, he's now passed away, she faithfully shares the gospel when she can, when she sees him. She doesn't live in the same state, but when she sees him, she tells him about Jesus, and it's no, 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 until his deathbed. And it wasn't until then that he, his eyes were opened and he saw Jesus as Savior. It's a story of perseverance. How do, who do you need to persevere with in your own life? That's point one. Secondly, we need perseverance in believing the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas have kind of reached the last city, new city that they're going to go to, and they turn around and they go back through all these cities that they have just traveled through. Why? They go to strengthen the current believers. So in each city, they said that there were people who believed. There were people who hated them too. So they had to persevere to even go back to those places. But they go back. And if we look in verse 22, it says they, they went strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We need to be encouraged to remain, to, to be steadfast ourselves. And what message did they use to encourage them? What were they telling them? How were they encouraging them? It says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, 
I don't think I would have started there <laughs> with encouragement. That's not the first thing that comes to my mind. I probably would have started with that miracle, right? The, the cripple who is lame from birth and he jumped up. Look what God did. He's powerful. Where do they go? How do they encourage the believers? It's hard, but it's worth it. And the kingdom of God is coming. Our reward is coming. Persevere. Stay true to the faith. And then they appoint elders in those cities. So they provide a church structure that will help them persevere under this opposition that they're facing. So maybe they started with this message of hardship. One, because they probably heard that Paul was stoned, possibly. That'd be a scary thing, right? The leader who just came to your city and told you this good news, he was almost killed. That's got to be a little terrifying. So they go to encourage them. Maybe it was that they wouldn't be surprised when challenges come. How quickly are we, how easily are we surprised when any little trial comes our way? It takes us off guard, right? Even in the small things, let alone the big things. We experienced this uh, not too long ago. We were able to take our kids to Disneyland, right? Where dreams come true. This is the magic kingdom. And don't get me wrong, we had a great day. It was really fun. But... Mandy and I, we, you know, we did the hard work of planning. We got it all lined up, and we wanted to surprise the kids. So we get on the train. They know this was in Paris, so they, we were already on a fun trip, but they didn't know we were going to Disneyland. We show up there. They're amazed. Like, this is going to be the best day ever. Well, what happens? Like, almost immediately when we walk in the gates is there's fighting, there's arguing and bickering, and where are we going to go first? And, hey, you pushed me. You pinched me. It's like, how is it? I mean, we were surprised, right? Mandy and I are like, how can we be experiencing this right now? This is the perfect place. And so we had to have some time outs, you know, and re- re- gather the troops and give them perspective. But we shouldn't be surprised when opposition comes in the small things, but also in the bigger things, right? So I know some of us, maybe you have a difficult relationship at work, a boss or employee, and we need to persevere in those relationships. Or maybe it's bigger things as suffering, right? And sickness, or death. These are things that will cause us to question, but we need to remain firm and stand firm in our faith. And ultimately, we need to remember that this is not the way God intended it to be, that God actually created things perfectly. But in our rebellion, in man's choice to turn away from God, sin entered the world, and with that comes death and destruction and hardship. But the good news is that Jesus came He lived that perfect life for you, for me. He absorbed the wrath of God, the punishment of God on the cross for us. And then he rose from the dead. He defeated death itself. He defeated sin. And one day he says, I'm coming back. And I'm going to undo all the wrong. I'm going to undo all the injustice, all the hurt, and make things right. We need to continue to believe. We have a powerful message and all the hope in the world to believe in. So what trials are you facing that require perseverance? Remember, you're not alone. And the encouragement from the Apostle Paul is that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Persevere in believing. And then lastly, what is the source of this perseverance? Where is this coming from? Are Paul and Barnabas just super Christians who can kind of do it on their own or super humans? No. They're just like you. They're just like me. But remember, at the beginning of Acts, God says, But when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. 
So what gives them this ability to persevere? It's the Holy Spirit within them. It's God's very presence with the believer that he is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's always with you. And it's through this power of the Spirit that he's able to get back up again and go back into that city. Continue to proclaim the gospel when it's opposition and difficult. God has given us what we need in the power source to be able to do it. He doesn't just left us alone, but he's given them the Spirit. I think secondly, um, other than having the Holy Spirit, and this is definitely connected, is that they, they know the love of Christ, that Christ is for them. Paul says in another New Testament book, he says that Christ's love compels me. It's Christ's love that compels us, that controls us, that propels us forward. It's this deep love that he's experiencing. We need to be rooted in the love of Christ. We need to be reminded of the love of Christ daily in order to persevere. Not something we just internal grit that we can kind of conjure up. No, it's, okay, God, you give me your Holy Spirit. I'm deeply loved by Christ. He's given me his life. I can persevere. It's meditating on some of the truths of the gospel this week. I'll just share them with you. In Christ, you are completely loved. Completely loved. No, no percentage is missing. This isn't a 98% full battery. This is 100%. There's nothing missing. Completely loved. In Christ. In Christ, you are fully forgiven. Fully. Not just for past sins, but present and future. Fully forgiven. It's not like a puzzle piece or like a puzzle that you put together and you're frustrated because you can't find the last two that have slipped under the couch or under the rug. No, it's, it's completed. It's fully done. You're fully forgiven. Nothing you can do to add to that. In Christ, you are totally accepted. Totally accepted. God didn't just forgive you and say, all right, you're forgiven. Now go, go live your life. No, he says, now, now come. Come into my family. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to bring you near. You can't get any more accepted than being God's child. Then lastly, we're totally renewed. In Christ, we are totally renewed. We're not who we used to be, but we're a new creation. We've been changed. We have his spirit within us. And that is the source of our perseverance. So as we go about our week this week, let's go controlled by this love of Christ, remembering the good news, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's notice the people around us. Ask that God would help us to persevere in sharing the gospel and persevere in believing the gospel for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this example of perseverance that we see with Paul and Barnabas. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit, just as Paul and Barnabas had, that we can persevere, that you love us more deeply than we can possibly imagine, that you are greater than we could possibly imagine. God, I pray that we would live out this for your glory so that the world may know, that the city of London may know who you are, the good news that there's forgiveness of sin in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.